mix it up a little bit tonight. I think some of y'all got freaked out that uh, I did like a song and then I did another song and another song. That's not the normal routine. We kind of been switching things up the last couple weeks um, for a number of reasons. The main one is feeling like the, the way that we structure um, our Sunday nights together is, uh, is an important thing and that um, we look at it not as... Um, you know, we do some, some singing, and then there's some preaching, and then that's, that's it. Looking at it as one entire night together and really trying to see how do we incorporate all the different elements in a way that um, accomplishes what we feel like God wants us to accomplish tonight and all that. So, um, so tonight we're going to um, kind of split up the teaching and the music in a way that hopefully um, gets things done. Um, if you have a Bible nearby, why don't you go to 1 Corinthians 12. Let me kind of uh, review a little bit of where we've been the last couple weeks. Uh, we're in a series on spiritual gifts, um, and tonight is, uh, has been reserved for um, the more controversial gifts, we'll say, um, that uh, I know some people are excited about, some people are not excited about it. Uh, Johnny, why don't you bring the lights up a little bit? Um, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 12, and um, we've kind of... Uh, Really, it's been, I guess, probably like eight or nine weeks since everything kind of ramped up. We spent uh, the first couple of weeks talking about love um, and kind of building a foundation uh, upon which then we can build our understanding of spiritual gifts um, uh, from Scripture and, and all that. We are doing this thing with our community groups this summer where we are doing like topical uh, three-week classes. And so we kind of surveyed everybody before all that started to see what topics um, you were interested in, in learning more about and discussing, and spiritual gifts was the most requested thing, and so I uh, just kind of felt like it'd be best to just, instead of having one class that everybody fights over, uh, we'll just do it on Sunday night and force everybody who didn't choose it to listen. So, um, always the way to go. But, um, so this is kind of, of where this came from, and, and I feel like God just kind of set up this, this map that's kind of plopped us tonight, talking about uh, the gifts of uh, miracles healing, speaking in tongues, and interpretation of tongues. So if this is your first time at the ring, uh, you picked a great night to come. Um, we're going we're gonna to mix some things up. It'll be good. So uh, we've been looking at, at 1 Corinthians 12, 7 as our uh, working definition of what a spiritual gift is. Um, and, and I feel like it, it really just sums everything up uh, quite nicely. And so um, anytime if you're, someone ever says, hey, What's your definition of a spiritual gift? You can just quote 1 Corinthians 12.7 and uh, get it done, right? Sure, okay. Um, here's, here's how we've, we've been uh, defining it. It says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. All right? That each Christian, okay, each person who has, um, has repented of the sin that separates them from God, has placed their faith in what Jesus did um, on the cross, has crossed over from death into life. Um, when that happens, uh, the Spirit of God uh, literally comes and dwells inside of us. 
And uh, it might sound kind of weird, but I mean, that's, that's what's happened. And our lives are, are proof of that because something supernatural um, goes down when, um, when that happens. You don't go from being dead to being alive without there being some evidence. And uh, so suddenly, um, that spiritual death that we were born into is now resuscitated and, and brought back to life. And the Spirit of God literally shows up in your life. And that's what this verse is saying, that the manifestation of the Spirit, okay, capital S, um, that, that each one of us has this unique way that the Spirit of God shows up in our lives. And so each one of us, um, God has uniquely created uh, to, to represent Him and to, for certain things about His character, His personality, His heart uh, to show up in your life. And everybody has different gifts. And some people, there, there's some doubling up that goes on in the church. You might have more than one person that has the same gift. But, but the, the, the mixture of gifts and the mixture within a, a church um, is just very unique. And so our church, when you, when you scan across everybody that's a, that's a part of our church, um, every one of us have, have these unique ways that God manifests himself in our lives. Okay? So each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. All right? So the... It's not for your good. The Spirit of God manifests in your life for the good of other people, not to make sure that everybody knows how awesome you are, even though you are awesome. I'll give you that. Um, that's one of the problems with spiritual gifts, is that um, sometimes people uh, look at them as um, some, some kind of like spiritual report card that shows how mature you are or how, you know, whatever, by the ways that, that God shows up in your life. And so um, someone uh, with the gift of whatever would somehow think that they are more superior than someone with the gift of whatever, um, but then uh, not quite as good as the people with the gift of whatever. Um, so uh, a misunderstanding of spiritual gifts has kind of led to this, um, like, ranking system within the church. That's kind of what was going on in the church in Corinth when, the, when that particular verse was a part of a letter that was written to them because that's how things were going down. All the people who had the gift of speaking in tongues were like running around showing off this gift. Now look at me, I can speak in tongues. You can't speak in tongues? Oh, so sorry. If you only knew how alive I feel when I speak in tongues. You know, and someone else would be like, well, I mean, I just, I, I mean, mine's, my gift is mercy, so... But I still want to strangle you, but, um, you know, whatever. Uh, that's kind of weird. But so, so your, your people with mercy were feeling very inferior, and then your people with, like, the gift of prophecy, you know, were being like, um, yeah, but, I mean, I'm a prophet. I have the gift of prophecy, and that's superior to your gift, you know, you who speak in tongues. And the, there's just all these, all these problems were rising up. And so they had this same thing going on, and so... Um, they're all arguing about spiritual gifts, and they're all ranking each other and stuff like that. Meanwhile, the church in Corinth had basically, uh, I won't get into the descriptions, but every um, immoral behavior you can think of was going on within this church. And so they weren't having a debate about uh, holiness and trying to become like Christ and letting um, the, the Spirit of God transform them from the inside out and, and how they were going to reach their city by living Christ-like lives and, and like how we need to confess sin and get it out of our life. They weren't having those discussions. They were having discussions about who was more awesome. And so Paul writes this letter, and he says, To each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. 
not for your good only, but for the building up of the church. And the very gifts that were intended to build the church were actually dividing the church, and there were all these problems. And so he says at the beginning of this chapter, I don't want you to be ignorant about spiritual gifts. And so we don't want to be spirit, ignorant about spiritual gifts either. So there have been a, a couple of things that have been consistent that we found um, from Sunday to Sunday as we've talked about this. Um, one is that uh, gifts are about the glory of God. The building up of, of the church, the edifying both internally and, and externally of the people who make up the church so that the glory and the power of God is made known to everybody. That you have this group of people who are completely jacked up, and then slowly God begins to change them and change them and change them so that the people who are not a part of the church look at them and say, remember that group who um, was always living like this? Well, now they're living like this, and something outside of human just hardcore just discipline and know-how has made this happen. And so the gifts are about the, the glory of God as he manifests the other thing, gifts are, um, are for the building of the church, like we've talked about, but it's done um, for the mutual encouragement of each other's faith. And one of the phrases that I've used has been uh, from faith for faith, that, that I use my gift from my faith and my dependence on God. I need him to manifest his spirit in the way that he has uniquely created me to do so because I can't force it, I can't fake it. And so it's my faith believing that my life has purpose and that he has equipped me and sent me to go and to, to be myself. So it's from my faith, but it's for your faith. That I want you to be built up and to be encouraged and to be um, challenged and um, pushed forward in your own faith. So a spiritual gift, whenever properly used, kind of encompasses all that. That God is glorified. The church is edified, and everybody's faith, both on the part of the, the person and everybody else, everybody else's faith is strengthened. When all those things are going on, that's when spiritual gifts are really being used. And really, all that comes down to, basically, this is how we love. It's the practical ways that we love each other. It's the natural way that we respond when someone else is hurting when someone else needs something, when someone's faith is being challenged or threatened. It's you basically being who God created you to be. And that's how we love. And so in theory, we have all these lives, all of our lives, pressed together in this church. The Spirit of God is manifesting and we're naturally responding to the great things in life and the terrible things in life all together. And all you have is just this just insane, like manifestation of the Spirit of God to where all these different things about God are showing up. And so when someone comes to church, someone goes to community group, someone comes to a day in the park, someone goes into your office cubicle area, or someone comes into your um, apartment to study for finals or whatever, um, whatever the context, in church or outside of church, um, God shows up and people see that and they connect with that somehow. And God says, see how I'm changing this life? I can do that the same, th the same thing to your life. That's a spiritual gift. It's all about all that. So he writes this letter, and he's making sure that they understand that. And then he gets into some of the gifts that are a little more controversial. And so I'm going to talk about tongues, interpretation of tongues, 
later um, tonight. Right now we're going to tackle um, miracles and healing, okay? All right. Uh, first, I need to talk about something else. All right. There's, um, there are a pretty good number of people that are part of this church who have, uh, in, to one degree or another, grown up in church, okay? And uh, there are, are different denominations and different belief structures of that we've, we've all come from. And, um, and, and basically, there's, uh, there's this teaching that's out there um, that's, that's called, uh, it's called cessationist, um, cessationism, um, you are a cessationist, or whatever. And, and here's kind of what, what, what that means. Um, people who are, if you are a cessationist, you believe that um, some of these gifts, especially the ones we're going to talk about tonight, um, they ceased to exist after the apostles died. Right? So you have the apostles, those who uh, were, were witnesses to Jesus' life and death and resurrection, um, the ones that, that Jesus handed over the church to. All right? And um, he sent them out. He empowered them to work miracles. Um, he empowered them to, to do all these, these things to legitimize them. Um, these were the guys who wrote the New Testament. Um, and, and so when, when we look at this as far as the office of apostle, okay, that would be like a capital A apostle, um, there's, there's a, it was a small group of, of men. And so as they went, um, things like, like miracles, healing, um, speaking in tongues, like those kinds of things that were um, incredibly supernatural, got a lot of attention. Um, those were things that uh, were basically like credentials for them. That as they would roll into a new place or as they would encounter a new group of people, um, these were the th this is how you knew that they were legit. And there are lots of counterfeits out there, but the counterfeits could not do these things. And so all that, I would, I would say that like, we are in agreement, we're all on the same page, um, that with a cessationist, um, I would agree with, with that much, okay? That, that the uh, capital A, Office of Ap Apostle, that that was a unique time in history, and they, they were able to do those things. Now, a cessationist would say when they died, two things happened. One, the canon was closed, okay? No more, uh, nothing else got into the Bible, okay, outside of, of those men. And two, they would say that those miraculous signs and wonders stopped happening. They ceased to exist. That's why they're a cessationist. Um, and so uh, people who believe this, they toss out uh, anything about miracles. Um, they are extremely skeptical about healing and um, healing ministries and that kind of stuff and overemphasis on that. And they do not believe that speaking in tongues is of God at all. All right? Um, and in 1 Corinthians 13... All right, which you're right next to. Um, at the end of that chapter, this is love is patient, love is kind. You know, it's, you read this at weddings. Like, this is like the like, really good, feel-good stuff. But this is sandwiched in the middle of um, Paul going after some doctrinal disasters that were going on. Okay? And, he, and in 12, he gets into all this stuff about the gifts and one body with many parts and all this kind of stuff. And then he says, okay, but look, if, if love is not there... Um, it is completely distracting from what gifts are about. He says, if I, if I have all these, all these gifts with all this stuff, whatever, but I don't love, then I'm, he describes it as a clanging symbol. And what clanging symbol does is it distracts. 
And so he's basically saying, like, if you have all this stuff but you're not loving, you're distracting from the fact that gifts point people to God, build the church from faith for faith. Okay? So he, he goes into love is patient, love is kind, all this kind of stuff. And then look at verse, look at verse 8. It says, love never ends. Maybe your Bible says love never fails. Okay? I think a better translation is love never ends. And this is why. Because of what follows it. That's why it's in its own paragraph, even though we like to tack that on at a wedding, because it's just it's a great, great way to end that passage in a wedding. I agree with that. No problem with that at all. But look, love never ends. This is verse 8. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. All right? That's where cessationists get this idea, because it literally says tongues will cease. All right? Prophecy will end. Love never ends. Okay? So there's two things going on here. One, he's saying, okay, um, if you want to pursue something with all of your... All of your being, pursue love because that is, you're never going to uh, be done with that. You can pursue speaking in tongues all you want, but when you die, it's, it does not go with you past that. In the, in the um, church, there's no need for that once Jesus comes. I mean, either he comes to us or we're going to him one, the, one way or the other. Um, but you won't need faith. You won't need mercy. You won't need, um, you won't need those gifts then. The only thing that's needed in heaven is basically love. I was listening to a sermon this week, and he's like, look, there's, there will be no, nobody to visit in the hospital when you're in heaven. No sickness. No one to, to comfort. There won't be any mourning. No need for faith because there's Jesus right there. Like, I mean, there, who needs faith? <laughs> there's no need for hope because right there. That's why faith, hope, love, the greatest of these is love because that's the one that's going on into eternity. The other thing that, that I want to point out is in this, this passage, what he's talking about when the perfect comes, that is not the Bible. And that's what a cessationist would, would really tell you, is that the reason these things ceased is because now we have the Bible. You know, they would say um, speaking in tongues was necessary because at the time it legitimized what the apostles were doing, but also it helped bring the gospel into other languages. And once the in the in that first century, that's what was needed because it needed to go to all these other languages. But now that it's out there, God doesn't do that anymore because tongues have ceased. Prophets, the office of prophet with a capital P, that has ceased. Well, that's not what that verse means. And if you are a cessationist here tonight, I love you very much. But that's not what that verse is saying. The perfect that's coming is Jesus. We've got to, got to keep that in mind. So spiritual gifts are given to us temporarily for us as the church to be organized enough to go out and to minister to the world until Jesus comes back. And once Jesus comes back, forget spiritual gifts. We will not be in heaven being like, okay, I need all the uh, mercy people over here, words of knowledge over here, speaking in tongues over here. That's not going to happen in heaven. You won't care. And interestingly enough, in heaven, the worship will probably not be in English. So uh, we'll talk about that later on. Okay, so um, 
So that's where cessationists are coming from. So if you grew up in a church that refused to talk about these things, that may be a part of why. Is at some point in the heritage of that church, or maybe a denomination, or maybe the personal convictions of a pastor, um, these things cease to exist. And, so, and because they've been so divisive from the first century in Corinth all the way up until today, we're just going to stay away from those things as much as possible. And we're just not going to going to do that. Um, one, because I think that that's wrong, and two, because I don't think that those gifts have ceased to exist. Um, now, I've really struggled this week of, of how to mix in like my personal convictions with saying the Ring Community Church believes this, okay? Um, when, when you go through our membership class, when uh, you look at our beliefs and all that kind of stuff, we don't take this hardcore stand about this particular issue. Um, and it's because we're just going to take the stand on the issues that Scripture is like, big time, these are the issues, whatever. Um, and so uh, because I've had a hard time figuring that stuff out, um, I just decided, I was like, okay, I can go one of two ways. Um, I can either uh, just say, this group thinks this, and this group thinks this, this group thinks this, decide for yourself. Or um, I could uh, just kind of tell you what I think and just let you know that that's what I think. So some of the things I say tonight, like if you're going to file a lawsuit, a spiritual lawsuit, um, file it against me, not against the elders of the church. Okay? All right, cool. So let's talk about about the gift of uh, miracles. On the back of the sheet that you got on the way in, um, we had this on there last week, there's a list of all the gifts and where they show up in Scripture, okay? And what we did last week is we just went through this list. Um, there are 22 gifts listed specifically in Scripture. Um, on the list where it's in parentheses, it's because it's repeating that number um, already in another list. All right? Um, so the gift of miracles is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and you don't have to turn there. Um, but uh, let me just kind of tell you a few things and what that looks like. What we did last week is we went through all the other gifts um, and basically just described what this gift looks like in practical everyday life. All right? Miracles, um, that is, uh, it basically means power. Powers. Any way that the, uh, any activity where God's mighty power is evident, that's kind of what you're talking about. Now, miracles and healing, obviously there's a lot of overlap between the gifts and stuff. But I want you to, when you think miracle, I mean, certainly we would say healing is a miracle, but let's, let's take everything outside of healing and talk about that as miracles, okay, for right now. Um, anything where it's like completely unexplainable, like only God could have done this, where God's power and his mind are on display, that's what is being talked about here, okay? Um, Here's some examples that uh, Wayne Grudem uh, gave in his uh, systematic theology. Um, and you don't have to flip to any of these. I'm just going to rattle them off real quick. In uh, Acts chapter... What? Um, i have to edit that in the podcast. Um, in Acts chapter 5, the apostles are in prison. And um, so they're in jail. And when you got jailed at that time, it usually didn't lead to good things. And so... Um, this is when the, uh, the angel shows up and uh, gets them out, basically. And so that would be like an example of like, God's miraculous power. A lot of times, especially in the book of Acts, like angels would show up and do crazy stuff. 
All right, that would be um, in the miracles category. Um, also in Acts chapter 5, we see um, with Ananias and Sapphira, a powerful work of judgment. You know, they had, uh, they sold this land and they like withheld some of the money. You know, they're going to give it all to the church and they're like, here's the money. And they actually kept some of it from themselves. And the apostles roll in. They're like, why'd you lie to the Holy Spirit? And boom, he dies. And then she's like, oh, and boom, she dies. So a powerful act of judgment, all right, that will be like God, God's mighty power on display. Um, and I would just think that that would be like a weird gift to walk in and be like, why'd you lie to God? Boom, you're dead. Okay, all right. Um, in uh, Acts 28, uh, this is a crazy story. Um, Paul is like there, and this uh, viper comes out. Not our viper, but like an actual snake viper comes out and uh, like, a, like attaches to his arm. And the people are like, ah. And he just like flings it away and doesn't hurt him at all. Um, that would be like a miracle when God like saves you from uh, like deliverance from some kind of injury. Um, in Acts 16, they have this, the this little girl, and she's a slave, and she's uh, got this demon in her. She's a, a professional, like, um, like a medium or whatever, and, and so she's a slave, and basically she does all this sorcery stuff for the people who own her and makes them all kind of money, and she's following them around. You should really read it because it says that they just got annoyed with her. Like she was like following around saying all this stuff, and it wasn't even like bad stuff. She was saying all this stuff, and it, it says like he got so annoyed he just cast the demon out. That would be awesome. Just be like, you're driving me crazy. Leave, and just, <laughs> demon jets, you know. So stuff like that, that's, that's what we see in Scripture. Um, and so anything where you're just sitting there and you're like, okay, God had to have done that. That's a cr- I've never seen anything like that. The only explanation is that the Lord intervened. That would be something that is a miracle. And so we're talking about people, right, when it comes to the gift of miracles, you're talking about people who, whenever these things happen, like they're like right there. It either happens to them, or they're the ones praying that God would show up and do something insane. They effectively pray for that. All right? Now, we all pray for God to do amazing things. But what this is saying is that there are some people whose prayers are consistently effective when it comes to um, these miraculous displays of God's power. Now, I'll admit, I don't understand that gift thoroughly. Okay? I understand God showing off. I don't understand someone functioning within the church as being like, okay, this is a crazy situation. We need to call so-and-so. We need to make sure this guy or this girl is praying for this because that person has the gift of miracles. I don't understand that, but it's there. And I, I understand in theory, I guess, in a practical sense. I've just never known anybody who's like, hey, by the way, got to get the miracles, so uh, need any prayer, let me know. Um, but I think that I really believe that there are people who function that way. It's probably just not something that's ever emphasized enough for someone to say, you know what, I'll, I wonder if I have that gift. Let me start praying and asking the Lord if that's something, that's a part of the way he shows up in my life. Maybe if you look at your life and you know what, like, you know what, I'm, there's like one degree of separation between me and absolutely miraculous things consistently for the last however many years. Maybe, maybe that's you. Maybe that's something you need to start asking Jesus about. Who knows? Um, so that's the gift of miracles. Um, similar to that would be the gift of, of healing. Um, you see that uh, that is in the list right under miracles in 1 Corinthians 12. Um, there are kinds of healing. All right? And again, a lot of this comes from Wayne Grudem's systematic theology. Um, he uh, basically starts off his teaching, uh, when he's t- talking about healing, he says we have to understand that, that physical illness 
is evidence of the fall. So God uh, creates everything and um, creates Adam. There's the garden. Everything's awesome. And, uh, you know, he says it's not good for man to be alone, so he creates Eve. And he puts them over the garden and the animals and tells them to tend to it and, you know, um, all this kind of stuff. says you can eat from any tree in the garden, just don't eat from that one. And um, a serpent comes in and tells them, uh, you're pretty smart, you're pretty awesome. Um, you can be God too. The only reason he doesn't want you to eat from that is because then you'll know everything he knows and you'll be his equal. And so you should totally eat from that tree. So Eve does and then she convinces Adam to. And then they are then from that point separated from God. At that point, that is when uh, certain things enter into the world that are terrible, okay? He gets cursed, uh, she gets cursed, the serpent gets cursed, and the earth gets cursed. So that's why we have earthquakes and hurricanes, all right? That's why um, childbirth is very painful. That's why everybody hates to work, um, and that's why everybody hates snakes. Um, That's really it. And... A part of the curse on our bodies is that because of of the curse of sin, we get sick, and at some point we will all die. That illness and death are reminders of what happened. Now, Jesus comes to earth, lives a perfect life, dies on the cross, um, rises again, bears all the wrath. I mean, all the, everything about that we teach about Jesus, and if you want to know more, I'd love to sit down and talk with you tonight about it. Um, he comes and he breaks that curse. And so at some point in history, um, he's going to come back and we're all going to be with him forever and he will apply um, fully what he has done on the cross to our lives. So at that point, it will be fully applied. Now between now and then, uh, we get little glimpses here and there. One of the little glimpses that we get is the fact that, uh, that the part of the curse... Uh, that we bear of sickness and illness, um, at some point he's going to take that away. and There will be no illness in heaven. And so when healing takes place here on earth now, it's supposed to be a glimpse of what is ahead for us. So when he heals, it's like, hey, this is a foretaste of what's going to happen in heaven. When he doesn't heal, it's like, hey, remember, remember the fall? So when uh, a hurricane's coming and it's like a Category 5 and it gets close to the shore and it dies down to a 1 and we're all like, oh, thankful. He's like, hey, um, the curse is going to be broken. Don't forget that. It's a foretaste of what's ahead. And when the hurricane comes and mows everything down, they're like, hey, remember the fall? So regardless of what happens in those kind of situations, it either points us forward or it points us backward. Either way, it points us to Jesus. Okay. Now, Sometimes he heals, and that is amazing. And the gift of healing, these are people whose prayers for healing are um, effective, are um, consistent. These are your people who, when you find out someone's sick, their first inclination is, we need to pray for healing. Just like people with the gift of miracles, their first inclination when something crazy happens is, we need to ask God to, to do this now. It doesn't mean that someone with the gift of healing is going to just roll in and be like, hey, the healer has arrived. Whoever's sick, come forward. We're going to to heal you all. 
First one gift of healing is saying, hey, I'm, I'm praying that this will go away. Or saying to the community group, hey, let's not forget that, that we need to, to be asking God to heal because God is a healer. And sometimes they're the ones who uh, lay hands on someone and, and they do get better. And people are like, wow, you pray for this person, they got better. It's like, no, 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 God healed them. We just have to be faithful to ask. And it's the person who lays hands on someone and, and, and isn't, isn't hesitant saying like, well, I don't want to pray for healing because what if God doesn't heal them? The person who gets to healing says, look, we're just supposed to ask. The results are up to him. So he sovereignly will or won't. That's, that's his deal. So if he heals her or him, like he's got a purpose in it. And if he doesn't, he's got a purpose in it. Either way, we're just supposed to ask and have faith. Now both of those gifts, miracles and healing, are it's real easy to see in those two gifts something we need to see about every gift is that those gifts manifest things about God that we need to see and be reminded of. We need to be reminded that God is a healer. We need to be reminded that God works mightily among us. That He takes hopeless situations and does the most amazing things. That we prayed for Jonathan Wilmore's um, health insurance policy Y'all remember that? He had maxed it out. His million-dollar policy had maxed it out. And he's like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. So we're like, well, let's, let's get the whole church to pray. So we prayed one night that God would do something. And they talked to the insurance people, like, the next day. And they're like, oh, yeah, there's a clerical error or something. You still have a million dollars to go. And next week, I was joking, like, God's a computer hacker, apparently, because he got in there and got it done. Yeah. And we need to be reminded of that. And the way we're reminded, in part, is God manifesting that way. That experience built our church. It edified. It strengthened faith. It glorified God. It did all that. That's what, that's what gifts do. But every gift on that list, when you look at them, I mean, every one of those things does the same thing. They all reflect things about God. His knowledge. Um, the discernment that's there. Uh, the fact that, that he's a teacher, that about service, about administration, and him being, being organized. I mean, there's all these things about God. There's n- none of us could manifest all of them because you just explode. So every one of us manifests little things in little ways, and you press them on again, and we should have a church that looks like Jesus. We serve that kind of God, and he looks at us and says, I'm going to show up in this life in a way that's going to be amazing. And I don't know about you, but that encourages the heck out of me. It, it puts me back in a frame of mind and a frame of heart that I need to never leave. So, we're going to sing a little bit. Is that good? No? I mean, we could heal each other if you want. I'm have the band come on back up because I, I feel like it... With something like this, I feel like we need to, to respond like, to these truths very specifically. Um, the fact that this whole series on gifts is supposed to point us 
to Jesus in like very unique and special ways. Um, and think about that fact. Think about, just take healing and miracles alone. And whether you think of it as um, pointing back to the curse, that points us to Jesus because Jesus is like, all right, I'm not going to just sit back and let that go on without stepping in and doing something. Or if it points us forward to when everything is fully applied, I mean, either way, that should stir us up. That should push us forward. Even talking about spiritual gifts should be edifying to our church, to our hearts and our minds. And that should push us to respond. And so uh, let's, let's stand together. We're going to sing a little bit more as we respond to that. Let me pray for us. Father, we love you. And um, it's amazing to know that, uh, that you are so personal in dealing with us. God, that you love us and that you want to show up in ways that are that strong and that powerful. That you would double Jonathan's insurance policy, I mean, just like that. That you would heal. That you would give us a taste and a glimpse of what is to come. So God, we just want to sing to you tonight to adore you for who you are and for that alone. So we love you, God. We thank you for showing up among us. And we just sing to you tonight. The rest of the evening in 1 Corinthians 14. Throughout history, really, God has done things that are um, very, very explainable. And God has done things that are very, very unexplainable. And uh, speaking in tongues in and of itself is something that is um, a little bit of both. And um, so it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a fun 15, 20 minutes, okay? Okay. Um, and so I need, uh, if you are, are from, especially if you're from a Baptist background, I need you to chill out, all right? Um, and if you are from a more like charismatic Pentecostal background, I need you to chill out, okay? Um, it's going to be okay, all right? Uh, this, uh, this, this is one of my favorite things to talk about, and it always has been, and it's because uh, my life background, I have like a foot in each camp. Um, my, my church background is, is very Baptist, uh, Baptist home, Baptist uh, everything, parents, everything. Um, but my, um, well basically you take my dad's side of the family, that's the Baptist side. The other side is a little more on the other I extreme of things. And so we would uh, sometimes, like a lot of people, uh, have the just what is really like one of the great privileges of living close to my grandparents. There was just time we'd spend the night over there and stuff. And sometimes we go to church with uh, my mom's side, and uh, as a Baptist kid, it's a little different. You walk in, and I talk about all the time people never knew that people would bring 
Uh, I never knew really that tambourines were used in church, much less people would bring their own with them. Uh, but you would see people walk in, tambourine underneath their arm. I didn't really understand that. Um, and obviously, like as a musical kid, I really got into the music. Uh, my grandparents went to, to they were part of Bethany for a long time, and so um, I just like the change of pace. I wouldn't say that I uh, have like a preference or anything like that. It was just different, and I liked it, and, um, except for the fact it was long. I mean, like it was literally like an hour of music and an hour of preaching, and that was just a lot to a kid who was used to like being out on time, you know? And so, um, and that's one of my favorite stories to tell, that I, there was this one, one week where we looked down there, and, and my my grandpa, he was, this was like before they had like high-tech whatever, he was like the transparency guy. And so he would be down in like this, literally like a hole cut into the stage with the transparency deals uh, that he wrote out because he was an engineer and they have, you know, impeccable handwriting. And so he would write them out and he would switch them out and he also like sang bass in the praise team. So he's like changing out the, changing out the slides, singing the bass, you know. And, uh, and so he was always down there and my grandmother would sit on the end and um, uh, like one time I looked over and she wasn't there which was not that weird, but her shoes were there. And so that was confusing to me. Um, and so I was like, all right, we're not sure what's going on. And then I looked down and I saw um, my grandma had like, like bleach white hair, like not like she bleaches it, but like it's like white, 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 just as long as I've known her. And I saw like her little like cotton ball head like bouncing up and down, down at the front. And she was like running back and forth. And I was like, okay, this is really different. And, um, and there would come points... Uh, you know, in the service where it was just, just really just different. And, um, and so I kind of have, have had a foot in both camps, and I've uh, had uh, lots of friends in both camps and all this kind of stuff. And so, uh, so I understand both sides of it a little bit. And so I've just always really liked to talk about it. Um, because for me, like, I'm a processor. Uh, I don't talk much, but when I, need to, when I need to figure something out, like, I'm just, like, very loquacious. So um, that's why I'm talking kind of fast now. Um, so let me just... just Establish this from the beginning. There are two ex- extreme positions when it comes to this, all right? So on one side, um, you have the cessationists that we talked about. And they say, speaking in tongues was completely legitimate um, during the uh, apostolic age when the apostles were doing their thing and whatever. And once the gospel got out to the, to the nations and it got into more languages and stuff like that, um, there was not a need for it anymore. And the gift of tongues died with the apostles, Okay. Um, so you have cessationists on this extreme. And then on this extreme, you have the Pentecostals who, who believe that everybody should speak in tongues. That speaking in tongues is evidence that the Spirit of God is in you, that you are a Christian. That is, that is how you know. And so if someone can't speak in tongues, it's because they are not saved, basically. Um, and there's lots of details. We could argue that point or whatever. But generally speaking, those are like the most extreme positions that are out there. And there's a couple of different ones in between. And like most things, um, it's somewhere in the middle is really where the truth is and, and whatever. So, um, so what we're going to do is instead of being like, this is what they believe and this is why, and this is what they believe and this is why, and you figure it out for yourself, we're just going to look at what the Bible has to say because I believe that is why, a part of why we have it. All right? Um, so be- before we get into chapter 14, let me just kind of offer like a, a good, what I believe to be a good, solid biblical definition um, for speaking in tongues, and we're going to look at a verse uh, where that comes from. This is, um, this is again, this is Wayne Grudem. Um, it says, that speaking in tongues, to define the gift, it's uh, words of prayer or praise spoken to God in syllables not understood by the speaker. Okay? 
words of prayer or praise spoken to God and syllables not understood by the speaker. Okay, now look at verse 2 in chapter 14. It says, For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. Okay? So we see this, um, this description that uh, is just very, very solid. Okay? That speaking in tongues is, would not happen person to person, generally speaking. All right? We're going to talk about exceptions in a second. Um, so in general, we're talking about prayer or praise. All right? So it's not for, it's not for you. Um, it's to God. And he says that no one understands because he, he, you utter mysteries in the Spirit. Now, um, I listened to a sermon this week that, that really, I, I feel like, does a good job of communicating this. Um, there is a language of heaven that is unknown to us. And Americans like to think that it's English, and it's not. And Jewish people like to think it's Hebrew because that's how, you know, because, you know, Israel, they speak Hebrew. It's the language of God. I had a professor jokingly say that. You know, he would make fun of people who are getting their, uh, you know, specialization in Greek. Because you say, why would you want to speak Greek? Because Hebrew is God's language. Um, well, it's not. Um, that there is a language that it's, when we, again, one day, we're either going to him or he's coming to us, and uh, we're all going to be together in heaven, we're going to be worshiping, and it's apparently going to be in a language that is unlike anything that we know. And that really makes a whole lot of sense. Because the division of languages, again, points us back to the fall and the Tower of Babel and all that stuff. We won't get into all that. And so... Um, speaking in tongues really is a foretaste of what heaven will be like linguistically. I think that's kind of cool. Um, cool way of thinking about things, all right? Now, tongues is really, uh, it really means languages. So it's not only talking about like the tongue in your mouth, it's talking about you know, every nation, tribe, and tongue means every nation, tribe, and language. And so we're really talking about speaking in languages. And it, what's funny is, like, for Baptist people, that just that backs you down right there. You're like, oh, okay. Speaking in tongues, like, walls go up. It's like, you know, speaking in languages. Oh, okay. We are speak, it's about speaking in languages, just the language of heaven. Okay. Now, there's three ways that we see this show up in the New Testament. And um, I, I like the way that, that Mark Driscoll um, teaches this stuff. Um, some people hate Mark Driscoll. Some people think he is the best thing ever. Um, and I'm like, I'm not, just because I quote somebody doesn't mean I like worship them and follow them on Twitter and stalk them, okay? Um, but I mean, I do follow him on Twitter because I think he's funny. But um, <laughs> he, he breaks it down in, in this terminology. I think it's very helpful, okay? So there's, there's points out there's three ways that we see the gift of tongues show up in the New Testament. The first one is, uh, is in a, a prayer language. And we say it's, it's, it's how someone prays. It's just in a language that is kind of, it's bypassing their mind. We'll talk about that in a second. Seems kind of weird. Um, but in uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 14, um, you don't have to look it up, but it says, uh, for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. All right? If I pray in a tongue, if I pray in 
that heavenly language. And, and that is pretty much the most consistent way that we uh, see the gift showing up today in churches. Is people will say, um, like, I have a prayer language, a heavenly language that shows up when I pray. And sometimes our prayers are, are praise, but we're talking about like a very, like a personal, like this person who has it, that gift, like them and the Lord, like really like deep, deep times of intercession and prayer where it shows up. And people who are like, I don't think speaking in tongues is biblical. Well, it's in the Bible, so I don't know how it's not biblical. And Paul, like, you will read it in a second, like he's like, I wish that everybody prayed in tongues. And he tells the people in Corinth, you think you pray in tongues? I pray in tongues more than all of you. So, all right, prayer language, okay? That's one way we see it showing up. The second is, is what you see in Acts chapter 2, and I'm going to read it to you, and you don't have to turn there. Um, this is uh, a very, very uh, pivotal moment in your life, whether you know it or not, what happened um, at Pentecost, all right? Um, Pentecost was, the, was a, a pilgrimage festival um, where Jews would come to Jerusalem um, from all over the place, and they, would, they were celebrating the giving of the law. That's what, uh, what it was all about. And so you have um, all these Jewish people have, have come in from all over the region, and if you've ever looked on a map uh, and compared, like, compared, compared the whole region where all the like, Bible stuff happens to like, the United States, it's all really, really close. Um, and so, uh, but even though it's really, really close, there were just this great variety of languages and an, an even greater variety of dialects, okay? You travel, travel I-10, all right, from Houston to New Orleans, and think about all the dialects of redneck and, like, Cajun and I can't even understand you, but I'll, I'll take eight pounds of shrimp, you know? Like, uh, <laughs> everything that you find through there is, uh, is just really, really unique. So that's going on, too. So you have all these people come together. Now, the... The disciples and stuff, they were from Galilee, and Galileans were, like, mocked because of their speech. Um, I was talking about Mark Driscoll. He makes fun of people from Texas, and, all, like, he makes fun of rednecks constantly. Rednecks and NASCAR, like, he just loves to pick on that. Um, but, uh, and if you watch movies, um, it, you know, anytime anything references New Orleans, they can't say New Orleans, as like Nolans or whatever, because they think that we all say that, which we don't. You watch The Water Boy, and you like laugh at it, kind of, because you're like, yeah, they're making fun of Cajuns. But there are people out there who really think that that's like real life for everybody down here, and um, it's obviously not. And so, but the people from, from Galilee, like, the people made fun of the way that they spoke, and because in Hebrew they couldn't, they had trouble with the gutturals. Okay, like you know the like the I think you might hock a loogie on me part of someone speaking Hebrew, that back of the throat sound. They struggled with that, and so people made fun of the way they, they talk. Um, and so this is why this is significant, all right? So they, uh, everybody comes together, and um, they're in Jerusalem. It's 50 days after the, you know, everything went down with Jesus. And so they've had 10 days from when Jesus went up into heaven, all right? He's died, rose again, hung around 40 days, up into heaven. 10 days of, of waiting. They're there for Pentecost. They're emotionally all over the map, and everybody's there, and it's this huge deal or whatever. And here's what happens. Look at chapter 2. On the day of... Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now they were dwelling in Jerusalem 
Now there were sorry. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is that that we hear each of us in his own native language? And it lists all the, all the places that they were from. And if you look on a map, like it's literally like all over the place. And in verse 12, it says, And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? Others mocking, saying they are filled with new wine. <laughs> so, what is unique here, and this is the second way that we see tongues showing up in the New Testament, is, uh, is in a, like a missionary context. What they were doing is they, are, are, they were, were worshiping God and declaring the mighty acts of God in known languages. So they're going, aren't these the Galileans? Like, how did, how did someone from Galilee learn my language and in my dialect? Like, I understand what this dude is saying. And someone else is like, I understand what this dude is saying. Even though they probably didn't understand what they were all saying. Like, everybody, sorry. Everybody is, is um, looking at these guys being like, how in the world are they so fluent in these languages? And then they start to catch on to what they're saying. They're like, wait a second. They're declaring the works of God in my own language, and this guy doesn't speak that language. And that got their attention. And that legitimized the apostles. And as the gospel left Jerusalem and began to spread into Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, just like Jesus said it would, um, we see something absolutely incredible that happened in the historical timeline of our faith. That the Spirit instantly shows up, goes into them, and begins to manifest in a way that they are speaking in another tongue the praises of God. People hear Him, come to Christ, take it back to their native land. Absolutely incredible. Now, we have got to be able to look at that and love that story. And that's got to have incredible value to us. But when someone says, and that's why everybody should speak in tongues, we have to be biblically, biblically literate and knowledgeable enough to respond quickly. One, this is a historical narrative. So this is reporting and describing what happened that day. Historical narrative does not necessarily prescribe what should happen all the time. So what you do is you take something from a narrative like Acts, and then you compare it to a teaching like the words of Jesus or the letters of Paul. And if they line up, then they line up. And if they don't line up, then they don't line up. So when Paul says, not everybody speaks in tongues, not everybody is a prophet, not everybody has every gift. All gifts are different. The Lord gives them out just as He is apportioned to each one as He chooses. When Paul's saying that in his letters, and someone says, well, according to Acts, everybody should speak in tongues, then you have to say, okay, that's not how we study the Scriptures. We take the descriptions and we look for consistency in what was taught. And what's interesting is that Jesus never mentions tongues. So maybe a church like Corinth that puts absolutely all of their emphasis on it, maybe they are kind of missing the ball considering that Jesus talks a whole lot about love and not at all about speaking in tongues. 
So that's the second way that we see it, in a missionary kind of way. Now, happening on the mission field, there'll be missionaries that will go into a situation and they'll be somewhere and they're trying to share the gospel, but they don't speak the language of the people where they're with. And there are times when one of those missionaries will have this gift and will begin to communicate the gospel to someone and that person's being like, okay, you don't look like me. You're not from here. How in the world are you saying this in my same language? It happens all over the world consistently on the mission field. So let's not be so quick to just throw that out as a possibility for us today. Although, generally speaking, within the, the church context, that is, just, that is just not the way that this gift shows up most of the time. Okay? The third way is what Driscoll called revelatory language. All right, you see it in uh, 1 Corinthians 12.10. This is where the interpretation gift comes in. If you look in 14, in chapter 14, um, it kind of lists, uh, he's going through talking about order and worship, and if you look at 27 and 28, it says, if any, if any speak in the tongue, let there be only two or, or at most three, and each in turn let someone interpret. But there's, if there's no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in the church and speak to himself and to God. All right? This is like at the UN, okay? Where you got all your UN delegates sitting there and they're all wearing earpieces and they have someone up in a booth that's translating what the speaker is saying into the language that the delegate can understand. All right? This is what happens with this gift where someone has, is speaking uh, the heavenly language and then someone else is being like, okay, this is what, this is what she just said. Boom. And it, it happens. It absolutely happens. Um, it is uh, probably more, um, more common in uh, some churches than others. It's more embraced in some churches than others. Um, it is certainly something that should be uh, tested and um, carefully, carefully shepherded by the elders of a church. Um, and especially on the part of, well, really on both parts. Someone says, I have the gift of tongue, and their best friend's like, I have the gift of interpretation. Then uh, there should be a lot of red flags going off in that elder board. Um, but, but that's the third way that it shows up in Scripture, where it's, it, it is like literally like someone is uh, translating the heavenly language um, into, the, into English in our situation. Okay, so those are the, kind of the ways that they show up. Now, there's no reason to think that these are, are, have ceased to exist. There's, there's no reason for us to, to think that. Um, so, look at 14. Let's run through it real quick as we finish. A lot of problems in Corinth, like I said earlier. Um, trying to set some things straight. So we, sorry, just start at the beginning. We'll, we'll go pretty quick. Mostly because he's fairly redundant. He's driving his point home. Verse 1, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts especially that you may prophesy, all right? Um, like we said last week, this is not uh, just people, this is not like just Nostradamus, you know, like your future predictors, all right? Uh, the Old Testament office of prophet with a capital P, these were the guys who were able to speak with authority and say, uh, they would say something and then they would be like, thus saith the Lord. Um, that is, uh, that's what that office was about, okay? Um, that, much like the office of apostle, not around anymore, um, but the gift of prophecy still around, all right? Um, these are, are people who are able to proclaim, this is what God says. Um, a lot of times, this is, this is your preachers. These are the ones who are, are pointing to the scriptures and saying, this is what 
the scriptures say, thus saith the Lord. Um, and, and so what he's saying here is that, all right, scripture is going to keep you centered. If you're going to emphasize something, let's emphasize the study and the application of God's word. Um, pursue love, earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. All right? Verse 2, for one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. All right, we talked about that earlier. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. And I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. Okay? I mean, how many ways can you say it? Building the church is what is important. If I get up here and I say a couple of sentences in English and a couple of sentences in heavenly language and then go back to English, what good does that do you as a church? It doesn't do you any good. So he speaks, he speaks in tongues, builds himself. That's not a bad statement. If someone has the gift of praying in tongues, and then when they are praying to the Lord and they are praying in their prayer language, um, that's, that's awesome. I mean, that is amazing. It's not a bad thing to like, edify your heart and your mind. That's great. But what he's saying is, like, all right, church, you've emphasized the wrong thing. If you're going to emphasize something, emphasize the gifts that build corporately. That is the most important thing. And say, look, I, you know, I, I love speaking time. I wish all of you did it. But it's more important that you prophesy because prophecy is uh, corporate edification and teaching and conviction, and that is what keeps you centered. Verse 6, Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if, your tongue, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestation of the Spirit, Strive to excel in building up the church. All right? I, I think what he's really driving out here is if you have the gift of speaking in tongues, um, that, is, that is a private thing for you. I have very close friends of mine who have the gift of praying in tongues, and you know what? I've never heard their language. I've never heard the heavenly language, like, uttered. It's not a badge that they wear. It's not a look how spiritual I am. It's not a, like, it, completely for them. And I believe that the friends of mine who have that gift and they use it, I believe that they do build the body. It does qualify as a spiritual gift because they intercede for the body with their gift. So if you have the gift of tongues, it doesn't mean you need to come up and show everybody. You should be just as fine in your room praying to the Lord, praying for us, praying for your community group, praying for your friends, praying for the things on the prayer list that we give out. And then verse 12 so with yourselves, since you're eager for manifestation of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Pray 
and say, all right, God, what, what, what is the Ring Community Church missing? What do we need? You pray for those things to show up. Like, if you, if you want to pursue something, pursue something that's good for everybody. Pretty awesome. Verse 13, Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray for the power to interpret. But if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen, which means it's true, to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you're saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person's not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with, in my, five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Think he's trying to make a point? <laughs> Think he's kind of driving it home? If you think you have, if you think you have the gift of tongues, this that paragraph is one you need to invest in. We can talk about that if you want to. All right, let's let's, let's knock this out of the park. Here we go. Last last part, brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. Hmm. Sit on that verse for a while. In the law, it's written. By people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Um, some some uh, churches would use that as like a like a, a uh, offensive weapon type verse. If you look at the context of that verse and you go back to where it's quoting in Isaiah 28, it's a verse of judgment. Basically saying, like, look, when people show up in your town and they're not speaking the uh, right language, I'm judging you. It's a negative experience for you. And one pastor pointed out, he said, you know, he said, some people think that people speaking in tongues is evidence of the Spirit. He said, that verse says that it might be evidence of God's judgment. All right. Um, look at 22. Thus, tongues are, are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. While prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. All right? If, if tongues are a sign for unbelievers, then that means that when, when the gift of tongues goes public, it is in that second way that we talked about, or that third way that we talked about. You're like a missionary, or you're like a UN delegate, all right? It would need that interpretation. If the gift of tongues is going to show up, generally speaking, um, it needs to be private. It's going to go public, you, you better be certain. It better be one of those two ways. That's what he's saying. It's for uh, unbelievers, so don't misuse it. He says, but prophecy is for believers. Verse 23, if therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? Okay? Probably so. But if all prophesy, all right, if all know the word of God and proclaim it clearly in English, and people know, thus saith the Lord, they know the scriptures, they know that, and the people with the gift of prophecy are up in front proclaiming it, pointing everybody back to what's sinner, and using the scriptures as a guide for life um, infused by the Holy Spirit. Um, if, if all prophesy, verse 24, and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all, the secrets of his heart are disclosed, 
And so, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. I think that is a strong word. If we're going to understand what the gift of tongues is about, we need to, to understand that last paragraph really well. I believe that it is a gift that is active. There are people in our church that have it, and there are people in our church that use it. There are people in our church that have it and have no idea. And as a part of us talking about it, some of that is going to come out. And maybe you have more questions, and there's just no way I could squeeze it all in. I know we're going along. There's no way to fit it all in and answer all the questions. I mean, I wanted to talk about the baptism of the Spirit, and is that legit and all that kind of stuff, but there's just no time. Maybe next week. Maybe we'll... I don't know. Figure it out. But the gift of tongues is not something that we should be afraid of or afraid of talking about or afraid to encourage people to pray about and to use and to teach. It is one of the, it's part of the list and does not cease to exist. The problem is not the gift. The problem is the use of the gift. Maybe if we ask Jesus how to use it, Maybe it won't get so abused. So um, I hope that I maybe answered some questions or maybe shed some light on some things, and I wish I had more time and wish I was better prepared and wish I would talk slower and all that stuff. But uh, hopefully this has been good uh, good for you. If you have questions or you want to talk about anything or, or whatever, like please let me know because that it shapes week to week greatly when I get feedback from you. Um, but that's, that's it. No more music, even though I'm sure you'd love to sing some more. Um, I want to thank you for being here. Um, the bottom of that sheet that you got on the way in has some prayer things on it that we're praying for uh, during the week. Um, there's all kind of announcements that are on there. Um, golf scramble, uh, setup teams. Um, we have all kind of stuff. Read the sheet. Anything you need to know, you can go to the table on the way out. But uh, next week, we're going to wrap up by um, putting some legs to this. And be like, okay, how do I figure out exactly how I'm gifted? So come back next week. It'll be good. All right. Let me pray for us. And that'll be it. Father, thanks for your word. Um, thank you that we have um, a guide, um, both that we can, can hold with our hands in, in the scriptures. But God, more importantly, that means nothing without your spirit helping us make sense of what it says. And we thank you that um, that day at Pentecost, when you, um, your spirit entered into believers, God, that we are a part of that heritage. Um, that when we... Uh, cross over from death into life, you fill us up, and we are never the same, and we thank you for that. Um, thank you for this church. Thank you for um, all that you're doing in our lives and around us, and pray that uh, you'll continue to show us how we're gifted and the ways that you manifest in us, just like you have designed us uh, with a great deal of purpose and intentionality. Um, we love you and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right.